Initiative Podcast, issue number 80, volume number 2, or should I say volume number 2, issue number 80. I am DM Vince, sitting alongside DM and Nick. Hello, everybody. And fan fave, <laughs> Bismarcky himself. <laughs> Come on now, this is DM Will. Hello, everyone. DM Will, yes. <laughs> and a blast from the past, Mr. I've sunken into the dark corners of 4E and saved today by us. DM Crispy. Oh, baby, you <laughs> got what I need. See, that's what fourth edition does to you. Yeah. Makes you sing Bismarcky, right? <laughs> I actually have some good news, Vince. Oh, good news to you. For me. I'm, uh, I'm taking all my 40 players uh-huh. into the land of swords and wizardry. All right. And oh, really? Mm-hmm. What made you convince them to do that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just... Really, like, I finished up my one shot for 40, and I'm like, really just want to play old school games. Well, that's good. Good for you. Out of the dark recession, you come. Come <laughs> to the dark side. We have cookies. No, no. Well, you want to see, I know why he's doing it because Vince, he didn't tell you the whole story yet. He's not telling you how the Forgotten Realms and all that's fixing to be blown up with Loth taking over with the invasion of the Underdark. Yeah, I read about that recently. I'm just like, I stopped what? caring about Forgotten Realms when the spell plague happened. I was like, no. Nope. Yeah, Loth has come back, and this time she's coming back full force. She's trying to take over. Yeah, I stopped. As long yeah. as she wears a really awesome bikini, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, let's see. Conventions. What's coming up, Will? Let me see here. I'm trying to think right now. This is... Mar- no, this is April now. April, April. I'm mm-hmm. losing track of, of what's going on and everything. Unfortunately, I could not go to NorwestCon last week. Uh, I had a, a kidney stone issue that prevented me from going, so that was really a, a terrible thing to happen at that time. That would have been my third convention in a row. Mm-hmm. However, in May, I have Enfilad, which is the largest wargaming convention here on the West Coast. And uh, that's going to be an Olympian. And and when I'm talking about war games, I'm talking about war gamers. These are people that have been doing war games since the 60s and 70s. And, you know, all the war games all the way up to now, GMT Games, Avalon Hill, and all that stuff. And now, of course, it's not a very exclusive convention. If people want to play other stuff, you know, they can bring their games in and play there too as well. A lot of sand table stuff. And, of course, your favorite uh, Circus Maximus will be run there too as well. Oh, sweet. Dude, we're talking like the old school guys with the long beards and the dirty fingers yes. from, from the pipe smoke and everything. And- That's right. And we're doing the small miniatures, which are almost, you know, you, you talk about 15 millimeter. These things are like 10 millimeter. They're doing, you know, all the Civil War stuff, the battles of the Normandy. You, any war that goes back from the time of zero, whatever, all the way up to now. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. We're doing a lot of gaming down there. And uh, let's see. So we got that convention. We have North Texas RPG Com coming up in June, which I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, we can get Nick to come down. 
Well, we'll see about that. Crispy can come <laughs> over this way too. Possibly. Like Crispy. it's forty bucks to fly in and if I can stay with either you or Mike or Liz. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. We'll talk about it. Huh? You always have a crisper around? Hell yeah. <laughs> I gotta I gotta get a new sod shirt. Yes you do. Well, I'll I'm gonna still try to at least make it out to Gen Con in August just over the weekend if I can. So mm. that's that's there's fifty fifty chance there. Well, we're uh, we're we're back in the uh, the race for the uh, any award again, so we'll see what happens. Yay! Good to go. See if they throw us out. Remember, this time. vote and vote often, and vote <laughs> as many times as you can. Yes. Actually, the, uh, sadly, people don't have an influence over the first round or second round at all. Hmm. There's no people vote. It's just judges. Uh, they get to judge us. Yes. With deep pockets. Well, you know, go, go talk to some people you know, Will, and, you know, hook us up. <laughs> yeah, throw them some miniatures their way or something like that. There you yes. go. Speaking about miniatures, Will, you were working on a project with tiles. Oh, yeah, yeah. What I'm doing is uh, I, I posted the pictures on there and everything, and uh, basically what it was, it came down to it. Uh, I, I, I'm a big, huge fan of Dwarven Forge, so I'm not trying to offend those Dwarven Forge fans out there and everything, but I tell you, I went to Hearst Arts and used their molds where I'm actually making the same things that Dwarven Forge produces. Uh, it's much more modular, and uh, I mean, it, it's just great, but you really got to go to the OSR forums, look at the pictures, I give you the description, and, and the best thing about it, though, you know, regardless of, of, of anything, is the price. Because uh, just with one box of Dwarven Forge, which costs $60, it only gives you about 290 feet, maybe, of hallway or close to it. But here, with the cost of $70, I can get 3,600 feet. <laughs> Holy cow! Well, and, and see, and that's um, when I say this, I'm talking the bag of hy- uh, hydrostone is a 50 pound bag. Yeah. I have only used about 10, 15 pounds of it and already coming close to about 3,600. It's 3,680 hundred feet of hallway, 10 foot by 10 foot tiles of hallway. Oh my gosh. And once I'm done with the hallways, I already started on the walls. The walls are, 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 are the next part. And I haven't start I started the walls but haven't painted them yet and did all that, but that'll come up in the next two weeks or so. But in the long run, like I said, it's a fun thing to do. You take pride in it, you know. If you want to use the D and D towels, you can do that too as well. But like I said, I like that three D effect. Man, that's where it's like you go, I'm going to make that Temple of Elemental Evil to scale right here. <laughs> now, where, we, well, see, where did yeah. you list, um, Will, where did you list it in the forum so I can get the link for that for people? Oh, what is the link to it? I'm going to find the link that you're talking. Just tell me where oh, you put it. Uh, where was it at? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. I'm trying to think where was it at. I think I did it in the game and reviews because I'm doing a review on the Hearst Arts and Dwarven Forge. Okay. So, yeah. Now, one thing I do want to mention, you brought that up. That's good you brought that up, Nick, was that actually what I'm doing is in memory of Gene Wells, who did Palace of the Silver Princess, if everyone remembers that module mm-hmm. from the old yep, days. Yep. My intent is my first project will be the entire first and second floor of the uh, Palace of the Silver Princess. And once I get that all completed, I'm going to take it to the gaming store, put the tables together, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill it out all the way, including walls, doors, and then I'll take a picture of it. Oh, man, that's going to be beautiful. And there's going to be a nice thing there dedicated to Jean Wells. Ah, she would cool. like that. Yep. Yeah, she would like that. Yeah, yeah I miss her. She was awesome. I, I love that module. 
Hmm. Cool. So, actual play podcast. Uh, that one is uh, Legend of the Fin Fang Foom I'm doing is almost done. Oh, wow. Uh, I have another maybe session or two or another podcast, a post or two. Well, another one just went up today. It'll be a total of 10 podcast sessions awesome. out there. And uh, then I'll be going into some other old school games. We were talking maybe playing some DC Heroes or some uh, V&V or maybe some D6 Star Wars. Just something hey, about- you yeah. better call me on that Star Wars now. If you're doing WG, yeah. WG, you better call me the D6 version. You better call me. Okay. I love that That would game. be awesome. Yeah, I do too. I love D6 Star Wars. Well, also, sure. if you do any of the old Marvel superheroes, I'd be there. <laughs> I'll play Aunt May. <laughs> when she gets the powers of a, of a uh, of Galactus or not? She was still just as good without those powers. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> oh, by the way, are, are they are they going to kill Fing Fan Foo? Who knows? I gotta find out about that. You gotta let me know on that. Yeah, you listen and find out. Oh, I'm listening. I'm listening. I wanted to see what's gonna happen. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so crispy. Yes, sir. What have you been doing? You've been gone for a long time. I've been not playing any games actually. Oh, um, dun, dun, dun. Shame on life, got in the way. Well, you know, work and school and. Not me, school. Well, I'm trying to go to school. That's the other thing I've been doing. Mm-hmm. It's prepping to go to uh, college soon. Eh, you don't need work. <laughs> I, and then I, I work, you know, I work full time and I work a couple hours away from where I live. And then other than that, uh, playing old school video games, the roguelikes and dungeon crawls and stuff like that. And prepping for my campaign. So I've, I'm taking them a few... It's an undetermined amount of time, but uh, it's it's two like eras of history passed from the last time we played in this campaign world, and so there's going to be a couple players who are familiar with it, and there's going to be a lot of different stuff. And other than that, just thinking about that stuff and plotting out what I want them to do, because none of none of them have played um, old school games, mm-hmm. or the ones that have have played very little. So it's going to be very interesting. Because, you know, there's no... It's Swords and Wizardry, so it's it's the Zero-E retro clone. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's, wow. it's Brown Book of D&D with some supplements. Yeah. I mean, there there aren't even rules for, like, morale. There's no rules for, uh, <laughs> like, NPC reactions. It's just, like, <laughs> role-play this out. And there are no skills, and they've only ever played 40 and, and Pathfinder, so... It's oh going to be really God. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And they're going to be like, and so what do I roll? Uh, you don't have to. Yeah, What's great is like, <laughs> there's like a ranger, a cleric, and two spellcasters. I, uh, I actually to took... Yeah, I took the uh, the Magus from Pathfinder, and I kind of retrofit it for, uh, for Swords and Wizardry, or just actually Labyrinth Lord, because that's what we were originally going to play, but really like Swords and Wizardry. It's really good. Wow. You took yeah. the Magus. You took the Magus from Pathfinder and converted to Sword and Wizardry. Yeah, um, that's it, interesting. That's an awesome character class, and I'd like to see how you did that conversion. Which is yeah, ironic. I have uh, I have my notes. I'm I'm still typing it out, but basically, um, it they uh, fight like a fighter. They have a cleric hit die, uh, magic user saves. Right. Um, and then I gave it the uh, the arcane pool and uh, spell combat. So 
It's uh, 3,800 experience points to get to second level. Wow. Yeah, and then it progresses as per the fighter after that. Because it's it's more fighter-y than magic user-y. And uh, it casts spells like a magic user, but at two-thirds the power. So, like, if it casts a fireball at level six... It's it's gonna do four dice instead of six dice. Yeah, but it gets to attack and cast spells and cast spells through its weapons. See, I don't know if you do on all that, like the Pathfinder version, but yeah, I, I got a friend that's playing a Magus, and let me tell you, those bad boys are just awesome. Magus is like my favorite class. It's so cool. It it did the fighter magic user thing right, but uh, yes. I mean, they don't really have a dedicated fighter aside from someone's ranger. So I'm I'm really I keep telling them. You guys need to hire some fighters. Yeah. You need okay, some sword hate. jocks. Yeah. <laughs> no rogues? I didn't hear no thieves anything. Nope. I am, uh, I'm not going to tell them about that. I'm going to be kind <laughs> of dick. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll let them, you know, try and disarm traps and look for them. You know, they'll have a one in six chance. I think that's fair. I think the but best sure. way to disarm it traps is just telling the fighter to walk straight, open up everything, and if a trap yeah, falls exactly. off, that's how you disarm it. Just, uh, <laughs> if you think there might be a poison needle in the trap, just or in the uh, door, just break it down. <laughs> ten foot pole, ten foot pole, baby. Yeah, there there are other ways around these things. You don't necessarily need a thief. Okay, cool. Thank you. No problem. Well, I have to say, I'm looking at the pictures for your uh, tiles. Right. They're really professionally done. Good job, my friend. Nah, 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 you know, I, I, it, it's kind of funny, and I appreciate the kind comments. Let me tell you something, though. It's not that hard. It's easy. They look I, really good, dude. Like, I, if, if you were a store selling these things, I'd be all over this. Well, that's funny how you bring that up. I have a lawyer friend in Seattle who wants to see the entire layout of the Palace of the Silver Princess. He offered me uh, $1,500 for the entire thing once I'm completely done and set up. He wants to come down and look at it, and uh, he's going to probably buy it off me for $1,500 if I want to sell it. I'm not certain yet if I want to sell it, because then I have to start over from scratch again and do the whole thing all over again. And that's not really what I want to do yet at this time. Have you got, but have but you it's got easy. That, that really cool bluish tile coloring to it. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, you know, honestly, if it, you know, it's because of it, uh, it's kind of funny how you say that. It, it's really not really bluish, but what happened was with the flash, it makes it look a bit bluish, but what I did was basically mm-hmm. I primed it in black, mm-hmm. I painted it dark gray, mm-hmm. and then I used cold gray to just dry, I dry uh-huh. brushed the cold gray on it. And, and let me tell you, these things are awesome. Yeah. The mold is $29 for that particular mold, and you can use it forever. You can make billions of feet of this stuff. Wow, these are really nice, Will. Like, billions upon billions of feet. Billions and billions <laughs> of hallways. Well, I'm being a little facetious. But no, these molds last forever. They're awesome. They're made of this really thick, moldable, malleable, uh, not malleable, but it's, uh, it's like a latex type of material. <laughs> moldable. Uh, hard rubber. It's really nice mold. And you can cast forever. And this stuff, I'm popping the cast every 30 minutes. Jeez. So wow, popping, those popping. are nice. So you're just, like, going through feet of hallway in, in like, an afternoon. You've just got oh, yeah. Yeah, dozens but also, of feet of this stuff. Yeah, and I'm just going on. Like, uh, in one day, I can make, let's see, one, two, so two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. I could probably do about 200 square feet of it a day. Wow. And then the walls are even longer. I'm also doing walls, but I haven't done the pictures yet of all that stuff. yet. You'll see the walls in two weeks. Jeez. Yep. 
That's oh, very cool. nice. And just and one other thing, the wall mold, just that one mold alone, you can actually make a building out of it. With all the pieces that you can make out of this mold, you can make a complete castle building out of it. And they show all the instructions on how to do that. It's absolutely amazing. And this stuff doesn't cost nothing. I think the most expensive thing that I bought was the, 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 the wall mold, which is $34. Everything else was under $20. Well, now you just, man... Well, I have to tell you, now, now I found something else to spend my money on. Yeah, really. My wife will, and my wife will hate you for it. Yeah. So, but, but look at this, though. If you don't want to buy the molds, I have no problem sending them to you, let you try them out, and if you like them, just you send mine back, and then you buy your own, but you better give me mine back. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound, it sounds like that they're really not that expensive. So. Well, the molds are twenty nine to thirty four dollars each, and you know this guy's been doing this for quite some time. And this is a this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but really didn't make the time for it. But now I have all this time, and I said, you know what? And you know what? I have no problem mailing you some of these things for you to feel them. At the bottom of the mold, I use that real thin foam uh, foam uh, paper. Mm-hmm. Man, it's yeah. just perfect. It's yeah. just like I mean, you, you can't beat this stuff, and it matches up so nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's head into uh, some sage advice. Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for sage advice. Sage advice this week has been brought to you by Crispy. The crispy crispy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> when you're in a bind, I got nothing. Yeah, when you're in a bind, take, <laughs> take a pill of crispy. You got nothing. You're done. A bite of crispy. <laughs> uh, it sounds I, like a piece of candy. Or a bowel movement thing. Uh, <laughs> we have two emails this week. You can write us at rfistaff at gmail.com, or you can call 570-865-4210, the hotline. The hotline. So, this message comes from DM Montana. He was reading a post uh, about uh, massive wilderness exploration campaigns and inspired and, uh, and inspired him to begin his own campaign based upon that. Uh, he started gaming with uh, Sword and Wizardry a couple years ago. Now he's moved on to AD&D. So, I guess he found S&W and moved his way up. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is. So, his uh, question for us is how... He can make a mega dungeon campaign out of the wilderness. How to make a good wilderness map. Want some advice on how to form a living wilderness that is constantly changing. Any module recommendations for inspiration so we can reference. And how to keep his players coming back to these wilderlands after they've reached the higher levels. Thanks for your time, guys. And I love listening to your shows. Montana. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty ambitious. Very ambitious. I would say well, a good module to check out uh, is X2. Isle of Dread. Yeah, Isle of Dread. Dread absolutely. Yeah. Like, I it. love running that module. For you know what comes from my B5? B5? On Horror on the Hill? Yeah, I was going to ask if that was Horror on the Hill. That one comes to mind because there's a lot of outside exploration to do in the wilderness there. And going up the hill and everything. Yeah. Definitely wants to get uh, Hex graphing paper. To draw yes. out his, uh, I, th- yeah, I think, uh, yeah, either B five or X two are really good starts. Uh, they get some inspiration from, 
Right. And I think one of the things that you're going to find in common, at least uh, with X2, is you want to keep it as loose as possible as far as um, plot line. You want to you want to you want to run a sandbox environment. Lots of random encounters. Um, you might want to have a few places which are you know are static, like settlements and and what have you. Maybe some uh, ruins, some forgotten cities. Uh, so you know, use definitely you're going to have to uh, use a, a lot of random encounter tables. Well, the, so. the wilderness survival guy is going to be his best friend. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a very good uh, supplement for you to get if you don't already have it. Yeah, as yeah. far as keeping constantly changing, that's going to kind of be up to you as DM to constantly change things. There's no automatic for that. Right. I guess it also depends on um, what kind of uh, outside environment you're going to have. Are you going to have a standard forest setting? Is it going to be more of desert? Is it going to be an Arctic slash tundra type setting? So that's going to factor in a lot of things. Uh, that's going to factor into it a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that when you talk about modules, especially when it comes to terrain. Uh, Dwellers of the Forbidden City, I believe is I-1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good one. jungle one. Very good jungle one. Uh, you know what? I, I'm surprised you didn't bring this up here there, Vince. U1, U2, and U3. For swamps. Yeah, forgot about that. Underwater. And I mean, that is just an excellent thing. That's uh, salt you, marsh, right? That's yep, salt, the salt marsh. marsh yeah, yes. You got it. I mean, it's it just totally excellent. Now, uh, I remember a while back, I don't know if you're familiar with CM1 Test of the Warlord. Yes, I have that, yes. Oh, yeah, you should know that because remember, that is a good one too with those hexes in there. And I believe it had a way of, you know, determining what was in a hex because I believe in there that hexes were seven miles wide at its Mm -hmm. longest. Yeah, those are those tournament modules they made up. That's right. And if you use that, now you can make your... You see, you, you got a regular hex when you look at the Isle of Dread from X1. But when you go into, like, when you blow this hex up, it's seven miles across. Or maybe it's 14 miles across. It's one or the other. Then you can start filling in those little hexes of that entire big area. So, yeah, and just like Nick said, you're going to add in your static ones, such as the tombs or the hidden cities or ancient... Uh, ancient civilizations and, and, and ancient ruins or, you know, places where monsters might inhabit. Like uh, if you use a swamp, for example, uh, maybe a certain portion of that hex is controlled by a large black dragon or a black dragon because they love swamps, what have you. Again, it's, it, it's going to take a lot of imagination if you want to do your own mega uh, terrain for the wilderness. Yeah, you're going to have to do a lot of changing up. That's a big thing. Now, I will tell you one thing. There's nothing Nick brought this up. Arctic terrain, uh, all that. There was three books that were released for D20. I know we're talking about old school, and I know you're using the Wilderness uh, Survival Guide. (laughs) But there were three books totally dedicated to those particular environments. One was – are you all familiar with these books, D20? Yeah. There was three of them, and I'm trying to think. I think one was called Coldscape, but that's not the right one. I just can't think of their names right now. I have to look them up later. But there's – go ahead. Is it for D&D, for D20 D&D? Yes, it was D20. There was three of them. They were specifically designed for for terrain if you wanted to make those kind of terrain. One was dealing with the uh, uh, overland terrain in Coldwell. I think it was called Coldscape. 
And I can't remember the other two for the life of me. And that's unfortunate because they were really great supplemental material for you to design an overland terrain adventures and how to develop them. I wish I knew what their names are. I didn't know we was going to get into this subject today. There's a uh, Dungeonscape here. Dungeonscape was one. I so are you thinking of maybe Stormrack? For, uh, there you go. That's seeds? the one for the ocean. Stormrack. Yeah. That's one of them. That's and right. Stormrack. I don't know the third. Yeah, the one with the cold Arctic lands. Let me tell you, those three books, if you can get your hands on them, those are going to assist you uh, tremendously in developing that wilderness uh, terrain. Yeah, that's, that's I just awesome. Re- I just remembered another one, which is actually uh, by Judges Guild that was produced yes. in the late 70s, uh, The Wilder, Wilder Lands right. of High Fantasy. Mm, is, yes. is, I don't know if you could find the original or if it's in PDF out there somewhere still. But um, if you could get your hands on the Wilderlands by Judges Guild, I, I think they also did a conversion up to the current version of D&D or something like that. Don't buy it because they want $450 for that now. Wow. Okay, never mind. Find a PDF of the original one. <laughs> or, or if you can find it on eBay, um, then, uh, yeah, find Wilderlands of High Fantasy by Judges Guild. That's I remember seeing this back in the day. And uh, it's a real good example of a, of a fantasy campaign setting that just deals with all the different hexes and um, what goes on in that hex. It's not too detailed, but just gives you enough information, I think. So that would be a good, like, template, I guess, to use as well. Right. And like I said, one thing great, especially if you're doing the stuff like jungles and everything, use those killer plants that are poisonous, you know. Oh, oh yeah. man, I love that stuff, man. That's just a magic. And you know where I got those plants from? Uh, S3 Expedition into the Barrier Peaks. Remember, they got some of those killer plants in there. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that's how I remember all the stuff with Terrain. Oh, yeah, that stuff's great. I love adventuring in the Wilderlands. That's some great stuff. And Judges Guild, that's a great example if you can find the older supplement. The new one, if you, if you can find it and you can get it cheap, get it cheap. But don't spend $450 on it or $300 or whatever they're asking for. It. That's, wow. <laughs> great question, though. That's awesome. I wish them luck on that. Yeah. That, that takes a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds I like would say one piece of advice. Yeah. One piece of advice would be keep some of the uh, the stuff nebulous. That way, if you come yeah. up with new ideas, you always have some place to put it around. Like, yeah, oh, keep yeah. yourself some breathing room. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. because they explore a hex doesn't mean they've explored everything in a hex. That's right. right. That's, yeah, make the hexes big and make sure you have a, a consistent distance ratio or miles or feet or however you plan on doing it. And like I said, if you ever get the I, uh, I3, I4, I5 dealing with the desert, great rules on deserts. Oh, yeah, Desert of Desolation series. Yes, Very good. don't forget yeah. those. That's an excellent series because it has a lot of rules on dealing with. But, again, if you've got the Wilderness Survival Guide, you're doing good anyway. But it's just right. more material you can add on how they did the deserts and, and how they, they, they formed those maps. Would you say there's a plethora of information, senor? <laughs> there's a plethora of it <laughs> there's a plethora it's a plethora it's a swear El Guapo um, <laughs> anyway we have uh, another email coming in from uh, newbie Steve the DM <laughs> this and, is going to be good yeah it's going to be good <laughs> guys I have an issue with combat and especially initiative. Here we go. (laughs) I know Jason cleared this up in the past, but I wanted to clarify things a little further. 
Does a DM ask for actions of the characters and then allow them to roll for their number? Or do you roll and then go down the line and ask, much like how it's done in 3E? I found no reference except in the DMG, which kind of says you should, but it contradicts itself. But, it puts but I did in caps. Find a reference in Oriental Adventures book that states, to follow combat as standard rules and asking for actions and then rolling D6. Yes, that is correct. He wants to know, do you roll first or ask for actions first and then roll? Uh, Well, according to the book, it's... You ask for your actions, and then you roll D six, and, and that is that's how it is throughout all of old school D anD. d Like, yeah, you and, you always ask for actions first. And Gary has uh, stated over and over in his forum posts, and even in that memorial book that came out, there was a section on that the DM must call for actions before the dice is rolled. But I will tell you an exception to that. I will tell you an exception, and I, I love okay. Vince, and I will be Vince and me like talk about this all the time. But we're not going to get into a fight over it and give him a black eye over it, nothing like that. <laughs> but <laughs> but I did notice that in uh, in some of those modules that I do reviews on, mm. which give I, I want to say it was the the King's Harvest one B ten, but I might be wrong. It might be the other one, which shows the complete thing. It does say specifically. Roll initiative first, and then do the actions. Now, remember, this is from the basic end. And um, so, again, you see that kind of, you know, uh, contradiction in different places and everything. I guess uh, Frank Menser had a different idea about it. Or, you know, Gary said, no, what's going to happen is I want actions, then do initiative, which is fine. It it works in in any case. But, yes, if you're going to do it by the book, then do it the way that Vince says. What I say, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't feel like arguing for like a three, four thousand hours on it. <laughs> I <laughs> say it's your game, it's your the DM. You do it right. Well, I guess this guy's asking because it was it was a kind of a by the book thing, and right, oh, okay. it's something that Jason remember Jason ranted on about that whole podcast about it. So yes, I do, yeah. and I agree <laughs> with you, Vince. That you know, I think that Gary his intention was that you declare actions first, and then it was doggone the uh, then you roll initiative. Yeah. Right, but like I said, it all it all it all works out one way or another. In any case, it works out. It works out. Only thing I'm saying is though, my problem with the whole problem, the whole issue with this is though. Okay, I declare my action. I'm casting magic missile at this particular target. Well, if that target dies, then what am I supposed to do? The magic missile goes off and doesn't hit nothing, or am I allowed to change my target? So I mean, you you can see those kind of issues out there. That's a well, that's why spells go off first. Yeah. Right. Right. There we go within segments. Now we go to the segment uh, portion of the combat, So, which is very important. That's why I wanted to bring that up with the initiative. Do not forget about segments. A lot of people forget that some spells go off on segments, and they don't go off on rounds. Well, some go on rounds, but not all of them go on rounds. They Both of your offensive spells are segment-wise. That's like right. magic that's missile, lightning bolt, and, and, and fireball, you know, your... Holy Trinity of offensive spells right there. <laughs> yeah, so just make sure you take into consideration when it comes to spells and those particular actions require segments. I like old school D&D classic when there's no segments. Oh, yeah, that was great. It was just a round. <laughs> just boom, there it goes off. No cares. Boom, it's done. Yep, yep, over with. You get hit regardless. Even though it's dead, the magic missile strikes the body before it hits the ground. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good old days. Okay, cool. So anyone has any advice to send in, stage advice, uh, rfistaff at gmail.com. 570-865-4210, the hotline. Let's Go ahead, Nick. Kobolds are standing by. There we go. 
And now we have Crispy standing by. Necessary to say why? What? <laughs> Alright, let's head into table manners. Yeah, I remember back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn you. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach you some. Table manners. And that's today's table manners. I am supposed to be talking about convergence, if I'm correct. Yes, you're converting little people into... No, oh, no, don't start that again and everything. <laughs> I knew that we was talking about converting uh, the D20 material into... And I, when I say D20, OGL, I'm actually talking about 3.0 Dungeons & Dragons. And we're supposed to be converting that to yes. older editions. And since we're talking about this is a first edition podcast, we're going to talk about first edition. <gasps> no. 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 Well, a lot of people were asking. There was a lot of a lot of flood in the forums recently of people saying, well, oh, I found this really cool third edition module really dirt cheap, but I couldn't figure out how to, you know, convert it back to 1E. Can you guys do a special on that? So we figured, <laughs> all right, why not? Yeah, well, you know... What the heck? You know, and interject anytime. You know, Crispy, interject anytime. Just because I'm talking doesn't mean I have monopoly, so that's one of the rules. No, it's okay. No, no, no. Interject, please. When Will talks, we all listen. No, no, no. I want you all to interject. That's why we... He is Bismarck E, by the way. That's right. Here we go with that. Forget Will Wheaton. We have Will Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to hide my identity to all those people out there trying to be anonymous. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Anyway... Conversion. Oh, I mean, converting, conversion, however you want to do it. How do you do this? How do you do that? Let me start with the history on conversions. I know that when 3.0 was released and everything, uh, they had sent to the gaming stores a 3.0 conversion book. Yeah. It was a small book. Then how many pages was it, Nick? About 20 pages, 25 if, pages? If you, yeah. if you call that small, then fine. <laughs> It was a. It was, it was I, a I had a twenty-two page conversion book to convert my character. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I believe that conversion thing was all about how do I convert my first and second edition character into three point speak, as we call it. Yeah. Okay. I re- I remember that. And you know what? When I looked at the book, I laughed, I chuckled, and I threw it in a box, and it's somewhere hidden around here somewhere. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't the. Uh... The, the advice for converting, just basically make a new character of this level. Yes. Yeah. Well, well I mean, they yeah. didn't explicitly say that, but by the time you got to that point, you're like, ah, fair. I'll make a yeah, new one. Yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> multi-class characters, just, just, just make a new character. Exactly. When it came down to it, because I followed the steps, and I looked at it and I said, why am I wasting my time? Yes, Wizard of Coast, slap your hand, slap your face, slap anything you want. I should have said that. But anyway, you know, it was a total mistake. It was a total waste of time. It, I mean, to convert something to a new edition, it was a pain in the rear end. I despised it. I put the book away and said, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to use my imagination, use my judgment, and I'm going to convert this character to the best of my ability. And then, you know, if there's any missing pieces, then you talk to the DM and says, well, I can't find how to convert this. So... Let's talk about 
how do we convert things? I mean, that's that's the difficult part. You know, for most people, it's a very difficult thing on how to convert. How do you yeah. convert a rule into something new? But you know what? I don't care about the new. We're converting new to old. New to old. So right. this is the thing. Well, yeah. I guess Go one ahead. of the things you got to do is, one, you're going to have to be at least relatively familiar with both rule sets. Yeah. And understand how what the saving throws are what what how combat works just all the basic stuff you don't need a real in the minutia of things because we're talking about like converting non-player characters and i guess to a larger extent converting your player characters over so having a basic knowledge of both rule sets is going to help so oh, definitely it's going to help and you got to have an open mind and you have to right. be flexible right you got to you're just going to have to go in there and Use your best judgment in finding the best analogous rule or uh, that that is in the particular rule set. For example, saving throws. I mean, in, in 3E, it's, was it fortitude, reflex, and... Will, yeah. Will. So and they, you gotta, they go up, like it's, it's a bonus instead of a number that you... Right. Make. You just need to find what is the best analogy, the best thing that is going to be used in first edition. It might be a saving throw versus spell, might not be, depending on, you know, you're going to have to, you know, just go from there. I'm, I, right. Just, just the example. I mean, even then, if you're just talking like player characters, you just go by their level and class and look it up in the book and boom, right. you've got it saving throws. So. Yeah, see, it's, yeah, see, and one of the things that I look at really, you know, carefully is that when we start, we talk about that. So I'm going to talk about some modules here in just a second. But the thing about conversion, and that's a good thing you brought up the save throw. That's very important because uh, I look at it like this. If a magic user, hold on, let me do this. Let me do it the, the regular way, the D20 talk into first edition. The <laughs> wizard, uh-huh. the wizard is in D20. Yeah, and he's the wizard. Casting, yeah, he's casting. He has uh, poor fortitude. And a reflex, but yeah. goodwill. But that's if you decide to make his scores into that. He could have a great fortitude if he had a high constitution. But, see, my point is, is on the spells, though. See, this is the fun part. If he casts a fireball spell mm-hmm. in first edition AD&D, it would be save versus spell. Would it not be? Yes. Right. Okay. But watch this. Now, let's say he cast a fireball from a wand. Now... Oh, no. Oh, God, no. You have caster levels and item caster levels. Oh, no. Yeah, see, all that weird stuff comes in. But again, what does that first edition character save at? Will it save versus Save versus wands. Wands, yeah. There you go. I thought it was still versus spells, though. No, it's wands. Nope, save versus wands. Yes, it's wands. That's right. In first edition... You have rods, wands, and staves, or staves, staves. People call them staves. I call them staffs. So I mean, that might be incorrect anyway. No, that's staffs, right? Right. Staffs. Stave. It's it's staves. <laughs> Stave is the board. I know. That's what I'm saying. But I hate staves. It doesn't. It sounds like you're staving off something. But it's all good. But you see, you get the point now. Now in D in D twenty, I, I guess they do the reflex save. You do a reflex save because you're you're jumping out of the way. And it's regardless. Or you're singing that Duran Duran song. The reflex. Oh, man, I tell you. But see, sorry. If 
fireball, whether it comes from a scroll or whether it comes from a spell or if it comes from a uh, a wand, it's always going to be a reflex. And then, like I said, there will be specifics where that would change. There'll be times where that changes. But again, so converting from D20 to first edition can be a taunt, a, a, a daunting task. Oh, yeah. But again, you've got to be flexible. And just like Nick said, you have to know your rule set and, yeah. and not forget how things change again because they're going to a much more simpler format as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it doesn't so, have to be perfect. No, it doesn't. And that's right. It doesn't have to match exactly. And I was just telling, you know, and I'm telling all the folks out there, I was just telling, you know, Vince and, and Nick here, you missed this, Crispy. But, you know, I talked to a friend of mine that went to a gaming store down here today, and no, a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact. And he says to me, he brings me a character sheet, and he says, I want a character that looks like this. And I'm thinking, like, you want an actual miniature made by Reaper that, that matches this character. It's not going to happen, my friend. Here you go. Here is a gnome or whatever it was. He was. It was a Noel or something. Here's a Noel, and just pretend that's your character. He said, well, it doesn't look like my character. I said, okay, well, I can't help you no more on this. I yeah, my friends are all like that, and I'm just like, come on, guys. Yeah, why can't I find a goblin that's carrying a trident and has a lute and a mandolin in his backpack? Why can't I find that miniature? You're going to kill me because that's a little too specific. My friend, listen to this. Is he going to hear this? And he's going to say, oh, you told him that? I said, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I went there. So, <laughs> so what my whole point was on converting, so let's talk about modules. And, and let me tell you, I'm a big, huge fan of modules. I know a lot of people don't like modules, but let me tell you, there are some. I great- love them because I'm lazy. Yeah, I just- looked up to them. Oh, thanks. Nice. Very good. Easy now. But, uh, no, there are some great adventure modules out there. And let me tell you, a company that I really like a lot. Well, actually, there's a couple I really like, so don't take anything wrong when I say this, guys, out there if you're listening. Fast Goodman Games. Oh. Goodman oh, Games oh, is, yes, is you a are. great company. You know? Well, I like Green Ronin Publishing. I love their work, and I love the Scarred Lands. Great modules. I like, I mean, uh, what is that? Kingdoms of Calamar. Great modules. Uh, Sword and Sorcery. They got great modules and everything. Yeah, but Kingdoms problem, of Calamar, that was uh, Kenzerco. Oh, yep, Kenzer Company. So if Jal and all them are listening, let me tell you something. Got to love Kingdoms of Calamar, which I mean was really great. And Scarred Lands, and uh, there's so many things out. Great adventure modules, but the problem is they're D20. You're like, ick, ew, and whatever, nasty. You're not going to touch them. Uh, even Goodman Games, all their modules were 3.0, 3.5. Great modules. And again, the problem that people won't, they won't, they won't play them because they don't know how to convert them to first edition. You used to be able to go on the Goodman Games website and get, uh, like, first edition versions of some of their modules. Yes, they do. They did have a few of those. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. the the Saga of the Rat King, they did a first edition conversion, which I have, and it's fantastic, folks. If you could still find it out there, I I think if you go on, what is it, um, if you could still get PDFs of, of these on uh, what is it? Uh, what's the website? They do PDFs of everything for for games. Drive through RPG. Check that out there. They might have it at least in PDF format. But I'm glad you brought up Dungeon Crawl Classics because that's a great place to go to for uh, third edition modules that have a first edition feel feel to them, and oh, yeah. that's what they marketed them for because they found. Not very long after 3E came out in 2000 that there were people saying, you know what, some of the new adventures that they're putting out by, by, by Watsi, not so great. 
you know. So Goodman's like, you know, well, what did the what do they want? What are they looking for? They're, they're looking for the old dungeon crawls and stuff like that. And that's what they went for. And it's been a fantastically successful line for them. Yeah, I have a so, box of uh, dungeon crawl classics. Oh, man, I got a whole slew of them suckers. Yeah. And let me tell you, they're, they're just... <laughs> and then they're just, they're just great. And you know what? As far as uh, conversion, those are actually pretty easy to do. I think, at least in my opinion. Well, I, I find them to be extreme. Now, are we talking about it on this segment concerning the uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics number 29, The Adventure Begins? We're talking about the Green Book, right? Yes. Oh, so that is my segment. Okay, I just want to make sure that's what it was talking about. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, and this is to all the listeners out there, if you're, if you're needing adventures, short ones, and these are kind of short now, uh, there's Dungeon Crawl Classics number 29 called The Adventure Begins, which is a hardback book, and then it's Dungeon Crawl Classics number 48, The Adventure Continues, which is another hardback book. Uh, number 29 is green, and the number 48 is a bluish color. Uh, the ones you, I think you want to pick up are the ones from the green one, because let me see how many there was again. I thought there was 10, but it's more than that. Yeah, one, two, three, one four, to two five, Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nine. There's twenty adventures in here from levels one to two. And you can't beat that. I mean, that is just absolutely awesome. It's a deal. And yeah. It is a deal. It's a big deal. It's a deal is a steal. Right. <laughs> and so the thing about this mod uh this book here and everything, let's see how much it costs. It cost thirty four dollars when I bought it back in the day. So you look at these adventures and you say, like, wow, these are actually pretty cool. They use the old blue, uh the dark blue what do you call those maps? How do you call it again? The blue oh. the red, the blue there's a certain term for it, I can't even remember what it is now. Geomorphs? Well no, it's it's the it's the old school maps, you know, where it's got the blue black round. Back, uh, mm-hmm. Background yeah. blue, just, yeah, yeah, the yeah. blue maps, then, whatever. Yeah, the blue maps, the blue background maps. That's what I call them for now. So yes, and, and they go by that scale. I believe each square is ten feet. I might be incorrect. It might be five feet. So just take that into consideration now that uh, the the maps used for D twenty are in a five foot scale, while those of first edition are ten foot. So don't forget that. That's a very important yeah. uh, conversion thing. That there is. Because, yep. Exactly. Now, if you use miniatures in first edition, then go to the five-foot scale. I, you won't go wrong, and then it'll work out just fine. But if you're not using miniatures, make sure you change it to that 10-foot scale and make sure the maps are appropriate. Right. That's an important conversion is that, that, that range increment there. I have but a I, lot of favorites in this series, too. There's, they, oh, yeah. they are, most of these are just fantastically done. And yeah. I enjoy them. I, I, and they got the artwork in there and everything. It's just absolute. Mm-hmm. And the monsters are easy. I mean, the most of the monsters you run into are typical monsters that come from the Monster Manual 1. Now, there'll be some weird ones in there. They might have some strange yeah. aberration feel to them. And let me give you an example of one, if I can find one in here. Do you can't even remember one? I can't even remember one right now. Uh, oh, here goes a Plague White. Uh, it, it, well, I shouldn't be talking about this, but it's an NPC creature in here. I guess it's a bad. It is a bad guy, and it's a plague white with a, a level one of rogue. Well, you have many options what you can do with a creature like this. You're not going to find this in the first edition Monster Manual, nor in the second or uh, Monster Manual two or any of those things. So you have to look at well, one, it's a white. We know what a white does when it hits you; it drains a level, mm-hmm. and it pretty much does the same thing in this one too. And just give it the uh, abilities of a first level thief. 
Boom. Yeah, and let me tell you, it's just amazing how it all comes in there. Now, being that it's called a plague white, that should, you know, set off some bells there in your brain housing group that, hey, maybe it spreads disease too when it touches you. Mm -hmm. So not only does it drain a level from you when it strikes you, there's a chance it can cause a disease like a mummy rot or some other type of disease you want to give it. Sure. There's so many types of diseases. Give it a funny disease, you know. And then, and like I said, give it the skills of a rogue. I mean, let's look at whites. What do whites do? I mean, they're quick undead. They can run. They can jump. They, they hide in shadows. So, again, what are you doing? You're just giving this white a, a couple more abilities. You know, I mean, that's how simple it is to convert. Right. And don't, yeah, that, and I think that's the thing. Don't be afraid uh, of doing the conversion thing because no one's going to know if you're right or wrong. Just use your best judgment. On, on all this stuff like we've been saying. And I'm just looking through their old and you can yeah. still find a lot of these out there. But some of my favorites of their series, I would have to say uh like the like Idols of the Rat King, which yes. they did a conversion of that whole uh saga of the Rat King series, which was fantastic. Uh uh Dungeon Crawl Classics number three, the Mysterious Towers, very good. Yes. Um Crypt of the Devil Lich. Very good. <laughs> High-level adventure. Very cool. Got to check that one out. Um, what's another very good one here? God, there's so many that I could just... Oh, the Scaly God is oh, an yeah, excellent middle-range module. And this is something that I would say is lacking a lot from the original when we played in first edition there was always low level first through third or high level adventures there wasn't a whole lot of middle range you know you're talking like fourth through you know seventh eighth level yeah fourth through seventh level this one the scaly god levels four through six can fit that perfectly if you're finding an adventure to uh to do for your campaign when your when your player characters are in that level range and it's easy to convert folks not a problem right now see let me give you an example we're going to jump back to this plague white now because i, I picked him out specifically and everything and uh when you read creatures of these modules of the d20 stuff and everything hey, it hey. says he has a special attack his special attack is we'll infection. actually we'll get into that later on Huh? We'll get into that later on. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Good to go. Just making sure and everything. But I want to cover that. That's very important. Yeah. Because when it comes to conversion, look at the entire creature. Look at all its special abilities. Uh, special abilities. Not special tech. It's special abilities. You want to convert those over into first. And I mean, it's so easy. And you know what? Yeah, just Don't plug go back to this. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Plug and if you If you're fighting goblins, just take out your 3.5 goblin, 3.0 goblins. Right. And replace them with first edition goblins. Yeah. Yep, pretty much. The only exception that I have to that case there is, in the event that you find, like, an orc shaman or an orc cleric, you know, sometimes it's not bad to have some of these these, um, humanoid monsters to have those kind of classes, Uh, especially, you know, shamans. You know, they'll have clerical uh, uh, spells and so on, you know, and all that. Just like half orcs, you know, they can be, you know, Mm illusionists or what have you, because in the UK series, you run into some uh, some uh, spellcast in half orcs, and people saying like, "Really? And half orc can be an illusionist? They never heard of that before, and that's a surprise." And that's what you want to do if you want to re-energize people into playing first edition. Oh, and, and this is the thing I love about conversions, and we missed this point. Is, I mean, how many people do you know memorize all the monsters from a monster man? Oh please! Oh god! Yeah, it's well, a I'm that guy. 
You see what I'm saying? So now you want to switch it up a little bit. Give it a class. Give it a special ability. Give it yep. some other weird things and so on because you want them to knock them off balance, but not so much that they're confused. And, and yeah, they're it's like, a good way of keeping your players on their toes. Right. And say, that's not in the monster manual. Uh, I am the DM. Who are you talking to, my friend? You know, that kind of stuff and everything. So, yeah. So, conversion. Oh, yes, definitely. A sword and sorcery modules. If you really want high-level modules that are really effective and, and, and inspiring horror and death and, and mass destruction, go to those modules. I like it because they use a lot of the old devils and demon lords from first edition, like Jubilex and all them nice guys. Yeah, and it's just amazing what you can do with these modules and convert them back to first edition and um, very much playable. Got to be flexible. And like I said, know the rule sets of both games. Get familiar. You don't have to know them yeah. you know, like the back of the hand, but use it. And, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with asking people, how would you convert this into this? Because sometimes I look at this, I said, you know what? Get rid of that. Add that. Get rid of this. Add that. You know, add this or whatever. Just like uh, Crispy said, plug and play or place. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's it's exactly what it is right there. Real simple, not too difficult. You don't need a conversion guide. No. And just like I said, if you see a goblin in 3.0, a uh, duh, go to first edition monster man. Wow. This looks like a goblin. Use that goblin. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and for those of us out there who don't, who are listening to the podcast, and they are, you know, they maybe they did start with third edition or fourth edition. Well, there's a lot of products out there right now in the, in the OSR. If you can't get the original first edition books, but you can, and they're, they're you know look on eBay and stuff. But you know, here's here's what Labyrinth Lord or and yeah. they're free uh, and they're free. free games. Yeah, Adventures uh, was it the Adventures, Adventures uh, Dark and Deep? Adventures yeah. Dark and Deep is yep. another good one to use. Delving and, deeper. Yep, delving deeper. So there you there's, go. There's three different versions of swords and wizardry, depending on what flavor of Odin do you want to play. Right. There you go. So you know, there's a lot of stuff out there. If you can't get the original first edition AD and D books, if you want to spend the money and find them on eBay, you can. And, and so, and what I find done. to be true about the retro clones is they're written a lot clearer. They like it. They're a bit easier to understand, and they're a bit better organized. So, mm -hmm. like, they're not they're not going to be the exact same game, but they're pretty damn close. That just the Gagaxian is taken out of it. Yeah, right. Now it's good that you brought up that stuff and everything because uh, again, if anyone remembers, uh, Frog God Games mm. is doing all of these conversions, and it's really interesting how they're doing that because they took. Uh, if you all remember this, if you did D twenty, you remember the Tome of Horrors one, two, and three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They took that and combined that into one big book called the uh, Complete Tome of Horrors. I can't remember now what it's called. It's a big yep. one anyway. And, I. Uh... Uh, I have I have leafed through both versions. I've played yeah. Sword of Wizardry with you should have monsters that book. from. I yeah. I have okay. So I I bought my copy of Swords and Wizardry from the copy editor at Frog God Games at Neon Con, which is our local right. convention here in Vegas. And I kind of have a hookup at Frog Gods for at cost, Ooh. and I've been like for books. And I've been like toying with the idea of getting the Tome of Horrors, but crispy. Yeah, you're my new best friend. Well. <laughs> oh, see, crispy thinks he's got the hookup, but the good thing is, though, Bill Webb. Yeah, lives... that's my hookup. Is Bill Webb? Yeah, he lives an hour away from me. Oh wow! 
Yep. As a matter of fact, I got some signed copies of it from him. He hooked me up. He's a good guy. He takes care of the military. So yeah. I'm like, yes, okay. but they took okay. that. They took that and converted it over to swords and wizardry. And then they converted it over to Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. So they have the book. It's so simple. It's, it's just too easy. Like I said. Too easy. <laughs> yep. Too easy. Anyway. Royale. Royale. But cheese. If you are going to look at uh, the the Tome of Horrors, they're, it's an expensive book. It's uh, it's like $99 uh, for the actual book. Wow. And then uh, you can get the PDF for like 30 but it's it's a pages. yeah it's like an eight hundred page book it's it's huge it's it's literally a tome wow and the swords and wizardry one is really nice because uh, with the Pathfinder version it's one monster per page you get two or three monsters per page and it's just as many pages for the yep. uh, swords and wizardry one cool hmm. all right let's head into our next segment game mechanics. Oh, man, what the heck is that? Understand, you fool. I have a spell that will work here. What do you mean I can't hit with that? All right, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome. Alright, game mechanics today is going to be converting encounter levels or challenge ratings to first edition. So, uh, something that 3.5 and 3.0 and Pathfinder and uh, fourth edition kind of does that I really, really prefer is uh, instead of having the hit dice kind of being your, your gauge for what people are fighting, they've really got a kind of narrowed down science for like what level you're supposed to be fighting stuff and mm-hmm. they've got a whole range of things uh pathfinder i think does it the best you've got your cr system which is challenge ratings which is basically is, a cr is this is what level of of characters should be fighting this thing the average level in your group should be fighting right yeah and you can well, go, you can there's a lot of leeway i mean if you're if you're four adventurers fighting a cr like your level 3 fighting a cr 3 encounter it's it's going to be a standard encounter. You're going to use about a fourth of your resources, but you're going to win. And then if you go plus one, it becomes hard uh, or like moderately hard. If you go one above, so they're fighting uh, fourth level characters, or uh, two above is is really hard. So if they're fighting a fifth level monster like a basilisk, um, that's a CR five. It, it's you know one of them is going to get pretty hurt. You might lose two if they don't play really smart. And then CR3 is an epic challenge. Uh, CR plus three is epic level. Which is basically, someone is going to die. <laughs> okay. That's your boss fights are your CR plus three. Hmm. So basically what they did was they took it and they, they, put, it the, they put the monsters in category of levels that should be played to make it easier for the DM to make encounters quickly. Make encounters quickly and encounters that aren't just going to TPK the whole party. Yeah, see, and let me tell you something real quick on challenge rating. And mm-hmm. I have a big problem with this system because I don't think that it's done correctly. Mm-hmm. 
Understand that when we have a challenge rating, let's say the challenge rating of a monster is six. Well, that basically means that the average level of the party, you know, should be of that where they can defeat one of those monsters. One. Not if you have ten of them. Right. Mm-hmm. See, yeah. that's the problem where it's broken at now because, let me give you an example. Now, we're talking about conversion. When I converted G123 to 3.5, I obviously, it, it's, you know, remember now, it, against the Giants, it starts off 8th to 10th level. Well, I'm telling you right now that 8th to 10th level characters are not going to survive the first, uh, the first module. So the CR rating is kind of weird, so you got to be real careful how you use CR based on the characters and everything. And again, at one time, I remember it was, it, it, it takes, uh, with the Pathfinder especially, you know, we're talking about conversion and everything. Challenge rating to me was that it takes uh, four people of that particular level yeah. to defeat one creature of that CR. Right. Mm-hmm. Four characters now, not six or ten, but four characters. Yeah. And I base that basically on how they do their Pathfinder Adventure modules, because if you see how they do them, it's only four characters in there. They give you four NPCs to play, so it's always based on that four-party rule. Right. When they made third edition, they they pushed it down because the average number of players reduced, according to Wizards' thought, to four players per average group. If you're yes. playing, if you're thinking back in the '80s when we're playing one one E or basic, the average number of players was anywhere from six to ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I've this is coming from a guy who's played uh, who's played fourth edition with uh, eight people, eight players, oh. and myself. Wow, that must be you ain't having no TPK in that. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, it definitely. I, I like the four people group. I think that works out great. Because then, if you if you have one of every type of like main uh, character class, you've got all your bases covered. Right. See, I prefer to have at least a minimum of six because I like I like support cast characters too as well. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, the challenge rating it is a very good concept for four players. But then it becomes skewed. If you have more players or if you have less. Mm-hmm. And that was something we noticed this week and everything. Also with the first edition group, because they don't, they, when they, when we play first editions of, uh, I got a Pathfinder group, we play first edition. And so they say like, well, what kind of CR rating is that? We don't have a CR rating in first edition, my friend. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. That stuff doesn't even matter right now. You're only fifth level. So that's all you need to care about. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about the, the CR system, it, it does account for that. Like it's, I think it's every, two characters or something like that, your CR actually, the things that you can fight jumps up one. It jumps so, up one. That is correct. Yes, it yeah. is. And then uh, the the more times the amount of monsters you're fighting doubles. So if you're fighting one CR6, that's a CR6 encounter. If you're fighting two CR6s, that's a CR7. Um, right, so it and, gets crazy. It's, it's very interesting how they do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, another thing that I love about this, and then we go back to first edition. Remember when you can summon monsters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you get those summon monster spells. Yeah. Now, in first edition, let me tell you, when you summon that, that, that monster or whatever it is with those summoning monster spells, or what is, what is the other one that the druids have? They, is it summon, summon nature's, nature's ally? ally? 
well, I don't know what animal animal summoning. Animal summoning. Yeah, that yes. was what it was, and everything. But see, in in the older, I mean, these new editions of D twenty. I just say D twenty. That covers all of them, pretty much. Yeah. D twenty system. When if I have a a wizard or a druid summon a creature, it doesn't affect the CR whatsoever. And I yeah, just because I that's accounted that. for as part of their class. Like see, they yeah. deleted a function to uh to get more monsters on yes. your side is is a function of your class and that's the problem with the cr again because look what happens when you let's say you have a uh what is that most powerful demon that uh, not demon but a devil the pit fiend a pit fiend has the ability to summon another pit fiend if i'm correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well let me tell you one pit fiend is is bad enough as it is but not cr 19 you have to yeah, be nice su- level to fight yeah. now if he summons another one and you're telling me the CR is not going to go up? That's insanity. That's insanity. Because now you got another CR 19 creature there. Mm-hmm. Or he might be a CR 18 because he'd be a little less powerful than the one that summoned him, whatever the case may be. Again, so this is where I have issues with CR. Or EL. Or did we discuss EL yet? Encounter level. I think their CR became encounter level. That's what like, it was. Okay. Encounter level in 3.0 is basically, uh, that's, I'm trying to think of the right words. Encounter level is, uh, that's the total amount of creatures, like their challenge ratings put together, it equals an encounter level. There you go, exactly. And then there's ECL, which is effective care, but that's, that's dumb. We're not even going to give it. What was, was it, was it skill rating? What was the other one for, uh, skill challenge or? Skill challenge is a fourth edition thing. Yeah. Thinking of uh, level adjustment, Vince? Maybe. Oh, the level adjustment. Yeah, that's what you want to talk about, Vince. That's what. I'm so glad they got rid of that. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Talk about it, Crispy. Okay, so like, if you have a drow, right? A drow is it's a it's a CR like one or whatever, but because of their special abilities, they are challenge rating plus one. Uh, or uh. Yeah, level adjustment, basically. So, if you're fighting one drow, it's actually, like, whatever its actual CR is, plus one. So, instead of making that thing just be the total amount of levels, they threw in some more obtuse math that is terrible. But, I think what the point of this is, encounter levels and and CRs, it's a good jumping-off point for, this is roughly how tough a monster that, of that they should be fighting at this level. Uh, Swords and Wizardry, I, I know I, I feel like I'm ranting and raving about it, but it's, <laughs> it's so good, uses challenge level, which is basically the old school version of CR, and it's basically, it, it goes by the hit dice. 3.5, sorry, D20 doesn't quite do that. You can have a 16 hit die creature that's like a 14 uh, level CR, just because of what type of creature they are and whatnot. But basically, the, and it doesn't have to be perfect because it's your game. No one's going to know that you're doing it wrong or you did it wrong, as Nick said. Right. The hit dice of the monster should be roughly what they're fighting. Like, you, you, you have a, a three hit die creature on the third level of a dungeon, and that third level of a dungeon is where third level characters should be adventuring. Or start... Like, when they hit third level, th- now they can go to the third level of a dungeon. And that's something yeah. that I, I see pop up in old school games, is, like, 
oh, two hit dice creatures are tougher than one hit dice creature, so they're going to be on the lower levels. Not necessarily. Yeah, it's not always necessary. Like, it's not always that. <laughs> yeah, try that. Yeah, I, I uh, kept beat. quite silent about all this right up to this point. Yeah, but that's I, the I, thing I didn't want to get in a whole up on a soapbox rant about... I, I think the challenge, not challenge rain, but the... Where the heck it's called in third edition? Um, yeah, I think it's way too formulaic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just yes. it takes away the uh, flexibility that the dungeon master had in the past, and it also takes away from the unpredictability uh, greatly for your players because they know at their first level they know they're not going to run into anything that's going to be too powerful that they can't you know yeah, and handle. That, that's the point I was just going to make. Like yep. in school games, you just don't know. You don't know. <laughs> And that's good. I, I like that better personally because there are points yes. where, like, you need to run away. Right. You can't beat this thing. Now, also, I think with that thing, it also took away the whole – somehow, as I was listening, I'm like, well, you know what? If you know that on, if, on average your, your group is going to be a, a four adventurers and you know that you're, you're only going to run into certain types of levels of monsters, then what's the point of having any hirelings? Okay, see, that's a very good question. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one thing I want to bring up about Pathfinder. And this applies also to any D20 game, you know, concerning the fantasy portion is uh, with the Pathfinder modules, let me tell you, even though the characters are fourth level, that doesn't mean that their encounter they're going to run into is equivalent to that, to their to their uh, CR rate. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's just not the case. And that happened this weekend with the creatures they ran into, uh, you know, we have five players, and the uh, the creatures were yeth hounds, and they have a bay in attack. Where you know they go ooh, and they all that they all had to make a will save. Well, uh, out of the five people, only two made the save. No, two. Yeah, two made the save. The other three ran. Well, the three that ran were the fighters. <laughs> so now they have a problem. They and with the rules on the the running away thing from the fear, they run away at full speed. And each of them was two d four rounds. So one of them ran away for seven rounds. The other fighter ran away for six rounds. So for for the first seven rounds of combat, they, they ran a hundred. Yeah, that's seven hundred feet away. Assuming they're, they're gone. in heavy armor. Yeah. Then in order to get back. It took him another five, six, seven rounds to get back. So they're mm-hmm. almost gone in tight combat. So it was almost a TPK. They got very lucky. Again, this is, I mean, you know, its this is how tough it is. This is how tough of a game it can be sometimes. It can yeah, be like very Pathfinder is very, very uh, good about giving uh, really uh, varied challenges. Because the other thing is lower level monsters a number of them count for a higher level monster, which is yeah. something you can you can do in in um, old school games as well. Like yep. I think the guideline S and W gives is for every two low level monsters, that's one one hit die higher or challenge level higher. Right. So if you take out two goblins, you get uh, an orc or not an orc hobgoblin. I don't I don't don't know exactly which, but if you yep. wanna if you wanna put a boss monster in there, just kind of take out a couple monsters and slap that one in. And Right. Yeah, yeah well, I'll tell you, when you do G1 against the Giants, you better have, you know, a good party of six people, and you better have some hirelings, because I'm telling you right now, you're not going to survive it. 
<laughs> it is, well, hirelings yeah. isn't even a thing in Pathfinder. That's the whole point. Yep, they're not even counted. Yeah, like you get you get uh, the leadership feat gives you followers, but like you don't get that till sixth level. Right. But like I said, that's it. That's how you do it. Old school and new school. I tell you, it's kind of weird now these days. Mm-hmm. But I, like, basically, if you're if you don't want to TPK your your players, or you want to keep TPKing to a minimum, like I I'm a DM. I don't like to kill players. I I just don't. Like, you don't. Well, I don't kill the, the players. I kill the player characters. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, as we're talking about all this, we're, we're not playing Call of Cthulhu here. Since, <laughs> yeah, Call of Cthulhu. Kill players. God. We're already, we're already talking about this anyway, so instead of going into creature feature, let's just expand this segment to include converting monsters into 1E from 3E. Go ahead, Vince. So, what... When you do it, like Will said, just duh. There's a goblin, go to your 1E book and go goblin, duh. Skeleton, duh. Simple <laughs> enough. That's, you know, no-brainer. But right. what if you have that weird monster, like, I'm um, pulling over a D20 book right here. The so I can think of one. What? Yeah. Or like a, a, a goblin that has magic-using ability. Yeah. Or, like, I'm looking right here, I pulled out the EverQuest role-playing game. Oh. That's a D20, D20 supplement. Works with D, uh, D&D. Yes, monsters, it does. Monsters of Norath. Right here. Skeleton, dry bone. Uh-oh. Right here on top of the bat. What do you do? Hit dice, 8d12. That's so <laughs> many hit dice. That's a nasty skeleton. Speed, 40. AC, 18. Attacks, 2 claws, plus 7 to melee, or longsword, plus 7 to melee. Uh, ah. Damage, claws, 1d6 plus 3, or longsword, 1d8 plus 3. Face, um, sorry, face, reach, 5x5. Five five. Special okay. attacks, shock of fire. Uh-oh, special, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Special qualities. Uh, damage resistance 10 slash plus 1. Resistance, improvisioncy, invisibility. Wow. Uh, saves. 4 to 2 plus 2. Reference. Um, reference. Wow. Reflex plus 3. Will, will plus 6. Then it gives you its abilities. Then it gives you its skills. Then it gives you its feats. So, <laughs> all right. So, we're going to lop off skills and feats. Yeah. Get rid of that. Almost not all the feats, though. It depends, because some of those feats might help with why it has such high hit dice. It has alertness and improved initiative, which we don't want to worry about. Well, the yeah. improved initiative? Lop off nah, those get rid of it. Lop it. Get rid of it. So, um, it's an eight hit die creature. So, for the attack bonuses, it's, it's going to attack as an eight edition. hit die creature. Yeah. Yeah, it's an eighth level fighter, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, four. Damage, what was the damage that it did? Oh, uh, let's see. Damage was two claws plus seven. Or yep, no, that's, that's its attack bonus. So that means it has a high strength because that's going to give it a bonus to attack. Yeah, and it's because, uh, Yeah, but I have to take a look at that. They, they wouldn't have an 18-100, so and there's a possibility. Didn't you say it was like 1d6 plus three for its claw? Yeah, 1d6 plus three. Or yeah. 1d8 plus three for the okay, long Okay, there you go. So, so yeah, it does one d eight plus three. So it's got a plus like the, three. The plus seven for attack is it's actually lower than its hit dice. Yeah, so plus three to bonus damage attack is what uh, seventeen strength, right? Yeah. So right mm-hmm. there, you know, its strength is going to be seventeen. Yep. Wow. Okay. Uh, let's see. AC is eighteen. So that we're looking at uh, two and two. AC two. Yeah. AC two. AC but, two. But it's got a th- plus three natural. I'm breaking it down now, why it has an 18. Right. So it gets a plus one for its dexterity. So we're talking about, what, 16 for dexterity now for that? 
Probably right around there. It, it gets, it's an agile skeleton. That's for sure. So yeah. it has a lot of mobility, so it moves quick. So that, it? that's it's how it's 16 offhand. I don't have a book in front of me. Yeah, it's got speed 40. So that is a very, like, base is 30. Yeah. So base speed is, is 12 in AD&D? Mm. That's what it's like me. And then it's wearing a plus four chain shirt. Ouch. Yeah. So it's just chainmail plus four. Well, that explains why it has such a high arm. Well, such a well. That's why it has a high some, armor class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a high armor class in D twenty, but it's a low armor class in first edition. <laughs> so that's how you look at it. So now I'm looking down yeah. here. According to third edition rules, his strength is listed as seventeen, which we guessed at already. Yep. Right. Dexterity twelve. That's a plus one, yeah. Plus yeah. one. Which a plus it one. It won't is. have a constitution score because it's undead. No, yeah. Intelligence three, obviously. Yeah. Wisdom three, charisma one. Now it has a plus eight to its jump, which we Chris we already figured out it was more agile than normal. Uh, plus eleven to listen and plus eleven to spot. Yeah. I would that. say if it's got plus eleven to spot and listen, I would say it would only be surprised on like a maybe a four and six chance. Yeah. Yep. So, like, uh, five and five and six would surprise it, like, this or, is or not four and six. This is considered a nine to 16 hit dice monster, medium size for third edition. Wow. Yeah, and uh, combat. Uh, the, what Will wanted me to go back on was the uh, special attacks. Yeah, that's the good mm-hmm. stuff. Shock of fire. Eight, yep. Eight times okay. per day. The spell wow. can be, yeah, the spell can be cast by an eighth-level wizard reflex uh, same as his wizard spell, Shock of Fire. Wow. I'm not familiar with that spell. It's, it's, oh, it's, I, it's an EverQuest spell. Yeah, it's an EverQuest it? spell, that's all. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, basically what it is, this is a creature that was created by some type of hideous necromancer and imbued it with this special ability to do this spell as it attacks. Okay, so let's quickly take this monster and let's give an ADD first edition monster for all the people out there listening. I'm going to go down the line, and you guys will, will sound it off. Hit dice. What do we say? Eight. Eight. Eight hit dice? Okay. Oh, yeah, eight hit dice. Um, initiative. Is there any bonuses to initiative? Probably because of its dexterity, like one, maybe? Yeah. Okay. AC, we said, was two, because he was wearing the chainmail mm-hmm. plus four shirt. Natural, plus his dexterity bonus. Yeah, plus his natural ability of, I guess, oh, bonus. Oh, his natural bonus, yeah, because he might be a toughened skeleton. His, his skeleton frame might be imbued with some type of metal or something. Oh, I'm looking in the. No, I'm looking about it. It's got move forty. What's what's fast movement in? What's like above average movement speed in? Uh, Would be forty. Forty? Yeah, wouldn't it? Because it isn't twenty and thirty standard movement. Yeah, it's uh, thirty is is your standard. It's standard. Yeah, like that's an unarmored man moves thirty feet in a round. Okay. Right. I was thinking for uh, for AD and D. Oh, it, it, it's it's one twenty, uh, twelve. Okay, for twelve minutes. inches for unarmored. Yep. Then it goes. Oh, okay. You know. Oh, so nine it, would be, inches, it would be one above that, like oh. whatever is a little bit faster than twelve for an unarmored man. Probably fifteen. Yeah. You go Probably fifteen. 15. You okay, can make so, it fourteen yeah. if you want. All right. Yeah. Speed fourteen. AC we said was two. It's attacks. It has two attacks if it uses its claws. Mm-hmm. Or okay. one attack if he uses the long sword, and he gets a plus okay. seven. One, and it did one d three one d six plus three for its damage for the claws, and then, then the, the claw, yeah okay, and the long sword is a standard d eight plus three. 
That's because of okay. the strength bonus. So what are we saying? It's going to have two attacks with its claws plus seven to hit? Yeah, two. Yeah. I would just say it, it attacks. I wouldn't give it a fighter. Plus. Right. I would say it attacks as no. I wouldn't give it attacks as a fighter. Or as it's an a, it's a monster. As an eight hit dice monster, I wouldn't give it any bonuses to hit. Yeah, I would give it the, the standard 17 strength bonus to hit. Yeah, yeah I guess you could do that. I think it's what, plus one? Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's no different than giants or anything because giants have, with their amazing strength, they have all those pluses to hit. I mean, when they hit, they hit hard and do damage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, special attacks. Uh, Shock of Fire, which obviously is a wizard spell for. Uh, Whatever the games of Norath here for EverQuest. So what can we equivalent of? Maybe we can give fireball. It like, maybe a fireball burning or hands. burning hands, fire blast, or something. Or so, shock and grasp. Shock and grasp. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Special so, qualities about it is undead. Obviously, damage reduction for every ten points, unless you're using a plus one weapon, you can't hit it. Yeah, um, that's basically just like uh, anything that's not ma- it. it ignores non-magical attacks. Right. Basically, and I would give it the, the skeleton, like, anything that's not bludgeoning does half damage. Right. Yeah, okay. bludgeoning does full uh, edged weapons only do minimum damage. Plus but, but straight You have bonuses. to have a plus one to hit it. So, yep. saves. Right. Will we give them the general standard saves for monsters of its level of hit dice? Yeah. Yeah, but it's always as a fighter. Uh, yeah. Right, of a standard yeah. of its hit dice, yeah. Right, standard hit dice, it'd be eight hit die monster. Yep. If you want to break it down further for stats, abilities, 17 strength, dexterity, we're going to, it says 12, but we're going to put it more on the high side due to its, its AC. I was thinking more mm-hmm. of a 16 dexterity for him. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, like I said, it's really a non-factor if we go down. I mean, I mean, it's not a non-factor, but like I said, we're breaking it down, yes. And that's basically it. And the challenge rating for this is actually a five, this creature. Wow, a five? Yeah. Well, that makes sense, though. If you have four fifth-level characters, they should Gang be able up to on this guy. They should be able to kill it. They should have no problem killing it. However, if they run into two of these guys... They might have a problem. They might have a problem. Mm-hmm. And also... Because that, what, what, what did you say CR was? A five? Yeah, five. So then it would become a seven with an additional creature of this type. Am I correct? Yeah, that's how it works. You round it down. I believe it's one, two. Yeah. Usually you round it down. Yeah, that's crazy. And where, but, where is another what? great resource where you can get monsters, Crispy? Pokemon. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I knew that was coming up. All right. Well, have, all right hold on. Let me go to Bulbapedia. <laughs> I, did a, I did a perfect example of this. Don't people, you dare. People were laughing at the fact that you can't take Pokemon creatures and translate them into AD&D. Uh, totally can. I did it on my blog on yeah. last year. I took a, a, a tea pig. I just took the card. <laughs> I looked at it and I said, "Okay, this little cute monster has two abilities: tackle and roll out." Okay, I figured there by the description of what it looks like, it's going to be in groups because it's small. So I said six to eighteen appearing at one point. Size small. Movement I put thirty feet because it's going to be really quick. Armor class I put six because they're going to they're small creatures. They're going to try to run away. Hit dice two because it has two special attacks: a tackle and a rollout. Damage d four d six. And other than that, it was just low intelligence and and alignment was neutral. So it's not looking to attack you. So there is your basic little Pokemon creature right there. 
That's just yeah. wrong in so many ways. Yeah, but it's, it's a way to get new <laughs> monsters that your players don't have memorized. I, I have no problem with that because and it's funny that you brought that monster out of that Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, but they like they've, they've got dragons and stuff. Yeah, but you don't have to call it that. You can call it the, the uh, I don't know, the bunny pig for all that matters. Yeah. I choose you. Choose. I mean, if you can have a monster of flump, you can have a Pokemon monster. Just because I used a fox with a zapping tail that got pissed off at Crispy in my adventures doesn't mean I was watching <laughs> Pokemon that day. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe I'll take a look. <laughs> there's, there's a duck. That's made of lava. Yeah. A lava duck. That's yeah, interesting. Magma. Yeah, but you have flying manta rays in this game. You know, you can't pronounce the name. It starts with an I. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, the existential this a this a tickle. Yeah, whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah. And th- yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're talking about the special attacks or the special abilities. Sorry, and we remember when I was talking about that plague white? Mm-hmm. It, it even states specifically that it has a special ability called infection. And it says that any creature standing within five feet of a plague white has a chance of contracting a randomly determined non-magical disease. Yeah, and again, so like I, anything that goes into melee combat with that is subject to that disease. Would there be a saving throw, though? Of course, there'll be a saving throw, right. and, you know, and, and like I said, but these are the things that you would, if you want to convert them over, it's real simple. That it, and, and, the, and the ruling is that anyone that fights this creature, when you strike the creature, you see some type of brown, nasty, vile cloud, you know, go in the air. Yeah, like maybe like spores or something. Yeah, exactly. Flavor I mean, however you want. Yeah, you describe it, or you know, you hit it in some of the uh, the zombie juice or whatever hits you, and it like kind of zombie juice. Ew. Well, you know what I mean. But you know, again, this is stuff that can be easily converted to something simpler. You just have to use your imagination, and, and, and believe me, you can have a whole slew of new monsters at your hand. So that's converting monsters from three to twenty. And obviously, uh, if you're interested in the EverQuest game, it has a whole slew of different rules to play. I know a lot of people wanted some mana-based uh, magic systems. That's a perfect example. Look through those books. It teaches you how to do it, actually. Yep. So let's head into our last segment of the night. Dragon's Horde. As the secret portal yields to your efforts, you stand amazed at a vision from the most fevered dreams of avarice. Before you lies the Dragon's Horde. All right, uh, in Dragon's Horde, kind of going with our whole conversion thing today, we're going to talk about uh, converting magic items from 3rd edition to 1st edition. And uh, just right off the bat, on doing the conversions, most of your magic items from 3rd edition already appear in 1st edition. So there's really no... Yeah, I would say a good 80% of them, if not more, are already... uh, you know, don't worry about it. Grab your first edition books, or if you can't get those first edition books, and you're going and you're looking like like Crispy's doing, uh, going back to old school. You know, find uh, you know Swords of Wizardry, Labyrinth Lord, or you know, go on eBay or Amazon and find some first edition books there that you can buy. Or go to foreshared.com. Oh, never mind. <laughs> don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So that's one way you could do it. And um, and just use some guidelines. Like we were saying before, just to reiterate, just have a basic knowledge of the rules. 
Uh, for example, in your your DM's guide of both books, go to your magic items section. Kind of compare the different rules between the two, uh, particularly in your first edition book. And that starts on page 116 about fabrication of magic items. And it talks about, um, you know, the malfunctions of potions, uh, how to make those, how to make scrolls. Uh, one thing in particular that I found interesting when I was reading is on page 118 on the fabrication of other magic items is uh, I believe it, it it was on this page is I'm sorry on page 116 I'm sorry mm-hmm. uh, that in first edition AD&D it was a real uh, I was it wasn't a very real big chore or anything about creating magic items because really it was taken out of the hands of the players. Mm-hmm. It was something that was very difficult to be uh, to be done. You had to be of relatively high level of a, of being a magic user or a cleric, depending on what type of magic item you're making, either at least eleventh or twelfth level. And there are no clear guidelines because it was up to the DM to, to come up with it. Yeah, to come up with how these magic items are made. Like, uh, for example, like they give an example of a plus three uh, dwarven warhammer. Now, how is that made? Well, it was really up to the DM to come up with an idea on his own how to make that. Each, you know, each DM should come up with his own way how these things are created. So there wasn't a real cut and dry system, unlike in third edition where there was. Does that mean it's better or worse? No. I, I First edition, it gave a little more creativity towards the DM how these things were made. And if they were made, you had to be very high level to get these things done. So yeah. enough said on that, uh, which is one thing I did like in first edition. I think in third edition, it made the creation of magic items for by the player characters way too darn easy. It just... So when you go to your book and you want to convert something that might not be in third edition, excuse me, to uh, to first edition, and it's not, uh, it is not in first edition. Like, um, oh, let's see, here's a real good one. I believe uh, the staff of security, and it gives like how to create this particular item. Well, you just throw that right out. There is no creation of this item. Could use those guidelines if you want to. And now I'm not saying that you shouldn't. So that's okay. But um, but overall, when you want to convert some of these magic items, if there aren't any first edition equivalents to them, just use your best judgment. And that comes down to what's an equivalent spell to this or something close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the you know your your fortitude reflex save saving throws? Where they convert to in in uh, first edition? Use those. So where it says maybe save versus fortitude, but it's a rod. Use save versus wand uh, rods and staffs wands in first edition. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. There you go. Staves, staves, staves. I call it staves. <laughs> Potato, potato. Basically, use your own best judgment on what you need to do. If you can't find anything, like we were talking about that monster that had that kind of special ability, that skeleton, for example, 
maybe there is a magic item here that, you know, there is a, Mad, nothing that's magically equivalent to it. Um, you know what? Make something up. Mm-hmm. It's AD and D. It's D and D, folks. You know, make something new. Use your imagination. Kind of use what's in the book there as your guideline, and just make something up on the on the fly, and and and, and just uh, and uh, see how it works. And that's yeah, really all there is to it. Yeah. You're the final arbiter. Like you're you're the referee. You get to decide what's right or wrong. It's in mm-hmm. your it's in your hands, Captain Planet. Oh God. Captain Planet <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's not go on that tangent. But really that's all there is is to the magic conversion. Yeah. Uh, conversion stuff is, you know, go with the books, find what those uh particular uh areas are in the books, read over them. Uh, go over your magic items. If there's already a magic item like the Rod of Lordly Might, which came from first edition AD&D, there you go. There's no conversion needed. It's right there in the book. Like, uh, I, can, but, I can do a pretty easy conversion right now on an artifact from one of my campaign worlds from when we were playing 3.5. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a sword called Fury. It's a plus two human bane sword, which basically means it's, it's a plus two sword, so plus two attack, plus two to damage. But mm-hmm. anytime you, it, you hit a human with it, it does an additional 2d6. So that's that's a lot of extra damage. Mm-hmm. So if I were to make that for, like, Labyrinth Lord, it would be a plus 2 sword, and it does, you know, uh, another plus 4 against uh, humans. So plus six, plus 6 against humans. Okay, yeah. Or you could stick with what... Or you could stick with what you have. There's, there's mm-hmm. no... There's no right or wrong about it. It's just what you feel comfortable as a DM, and as long as you're consistent in your rulings and how you do things, that's the important thing. Yep. So cool. Uh, and that's really all I got to say on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I like see that. first come there, and that's all I got to say about that. That's about that. But, I, but I, I will add, though, the good thing about it is, though, you can port over a lot of the new types of potions or the new types of rings and all the new magical stuff that's not found in first edition, you can port this stuff over and easily convert it over. I mean, because you have potions of uh, bull strength. Now, we don't mm-hmm. have no potions of bull strength, but uh, I believe we have potions of giant strength, which mm-hmm. is almost similar. But, you know, you could change it around, figure it out, and just make the conversion. It's, it's really simple. Yeah, Judgment. absolutely. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because there is something in there in the third edition book that I actually found useful. And that's, uh, boy, do I sound jaded against 3E. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But um, it's like using some of those special abilities for magic weapons and armor and some other things that aren't found in first edition. Why not use some of those things in your first edition game? Kind of spice things up. Like like you said, Will, you know, it's something new. Something uh, that your player characters and, and the players themselves have not seen. And that's what it's all about. It's about exploring and finding out new things and, you know, seeing uh, different lands and killing them and taking their stuff. Yeah, it's well, top players <laughs> memorizing everything. A great exactly. book. A great little <laughs> reference book to get new magical items that are just off the wall is uh, Diablo 2. Yeah. Was, uh, made for second, yeah, made for second edition. Yeah. It yeah, has, uh, I think it's called The Awakening or whatever. It has a million magical items that you can generate. <laughs> so your wow. players your players are yeah. not mesmerizing. I mean, memor- yeah. remembering those ones. So with that, I think we're going to end our crunchy show for this week. 
Crunchy, crunchy. Yeah, this has been a real crunchy show this week, actually. Yeah, I think there's a guy called Crispy that was here. That's why it was yeah. crunchy. <laughs> you know, Crispy, I have to, I have to say, um, you that. sound like another guy that I don't know if you've seen. You, know, you sound like you, look, you sound like Spoonie. You know, the Spoonie experiment. I, I do know Spoonie. I love Spoonie actually. I, you actually sound like him. Like man, he almost sounds like Spoonie. <laughs> like, Spoonie. The uh, SpooniExperiment.com. He, he makes internet reviews. Yeah, oh, he's the best a, one to watch is he's the Dragon a, Strike a, review. Yeah, and he's a he's a gamer too. Yeah, he's a, he's a he used to write for uh, Knights of the Dinner uh, Knights table, of the Dinner Table. Yeah. Uh oh. All right, so we're gonna say goodbye this week, and if you wanna write in RFISTAFF at gmail dot com, five seven zero eight six five forty two ten the hotline. So we're going to keep original, keep it old school, and instead of saying keep clerks with blunt weapons, we'll say different. <laughs> we'll have something different this week. Stay tuned next week when Will does another short class. Oh, man. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Take care. Roll for initiative.